three mornings a week, we meet before breakfast for an early morning run. We spend most of our time planning and reflecting on what's happening in our classrooms. This has become our favorite professional development. So we figured, why not share these moments with you? Welcome to Math Before Breakfast. So welcome to episode 30. This is Ruth, and I am so excited because we are at my school. Um, It's a multiple of five, and we just so happen to have guests. Um, We've decided that, well, it just kind of worked out. So episode 30, we have guests, and we are at LCA because LCA provided all of the elementary teachers um, math fact fluency by Jennifer Bay Williams. And so we are going to just talk about it in our school, we're going to talk about it in our classroom, and all of the stuff that we have gotten from um, this book. And Jennifer Bay Williams is not the only author of this book. Gina Kling also contributed. I say that because when Jennifer Bay Williams was given her talk that I went to, she, I think she's one of the authors of the Vandewall book, but everybody calls it the Vandewall book, and and she gets left down. So let's make sure we notice the other person, too. That helps, clearly. Okay. Okay, so let's start with introduction so they know who's here. Okay, my name's Mandy Winger, and I'm a kindergarten teacher here at LCA. And my name's Amy Love, and I'm Director of Curriculum and Instruction at LCA, so I work with all of our teachers, K-12. And I'm Jennifer Cruz, and I'm the Middle School Assistant Principal, as well as the Math Department Chair for grades 6 through 12. So we have a wide variety. We have from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, and we're going to just be able to talk about um, this book. So... We're going to start with just what's your one thing. I mean, we're going to tell you that no one has read this book completely from cover to cover, but we are going to do a good job summarizing it (laughs) and hopefully you've been able to take one thing. Oh, you're raising your hand because you read it from cover to cover. (laughs) Ruth, I even made us a note. Are we going to talk about the the non-negotiable things first and talk about what fluency means and the five fundamentals? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't follow your notes. Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So you go there. Okay. So I feel like there are parts to this book that get repeated in every single chapter. And I think if you haven't read it, it'd be important to kind of hear where they are coming from. So I'll talk about procedural fluency. And if you have a book, it's on page two, where there's a great graphic that is um, sort of explaining that. So procedural fluency, looking at the graphic, is computing with accuracy, efficiency, and flexibility. So accuracy just means um, well, and th- th- let me go back and say the reason we're talking about this is so when we talk about fluency, we know what we're talking about. You know, this is what we mean by fluency. It doesn't just mean saying your facts fast. Um, so accuracy means the it looks like having the correct answer. Efficiency would talk about that the time you needed to solve the time the student needs to solve the fact is reasonable. Um, and in here, I feel like they kind of repeated the three second amount right as the goal um, they could a student can say the fact within three seconds and then the selected strategy fits the numbers that are in the problem um, so like if you're thinking about addition and subtraction when is it efficient to count back or when is it efficient to count up that kind of thing and then flexibility is sort of related to that um, this you can apply a strategy to new problems and a strategy is adapted to better fit the problem so when we're talking about fluency we're talking about all of those things you want to add anything anybody to that no okay can we talk about is somebody willing to kind of summarize the five fundamentals and I, it's on page 13 um, the whole first chapter talks about it but then in every chapter they go back and sort of say how it's related so it starts at the bottom of page 13 
somebody willing to even just read them. It's okay. They're all shy. That's okay. But I feel like this is kind of the reason that we provided this book for Mm -hmm. elementary teachers Mm -hmm. because maybe not all teachers understood fluency in that depth and just because you've practiced your facts or because you've given a time test doesn't mean you've worked on fluency right so we defined fluency and you can't have it mastered until it is fluent and then it's in three phases and as a sixth grade teacher I see a lot of kids who think that they've mastered their facts in phase one so when I say six times seven skip counting is what they have and some of them are really fast Mm -hmm. at skip counting Mm -hmm. um so and you have to get through all three to get to the foundation so so phase two is like using a strategy so phase Mm -hmm. one is counting whether Mm -hmm. that's counting for addition subtraction facts or counting by groups skip counting for in multiplication and division Phase two was using a strategy to solve it, like a derived fact. And then phase three is mastery, like just knowing them. So those are the, you know, they talk about how you have to move through that process in all of them. Right. And you don't want students having to derive facts all the time. You've got to have those foundational facts because you have to have those to get to a strategy. So that was number three. And then number four is time test. Um, and how they don't assess fluency. And then students need substantial and enjoyable practice. And so that is where this book is really good about providing ways to give kids good practice. Okay, so we've got our fundamentals and we've talked about um, fluency, which even if that's what your takeaway is from this book, you've gotten what you needed. But I like the fact that it's, okay, so you want to do something, this is what you can do. It just mm-hmm. doesn't tell you you mm-hmm. need to do something. So you've convinced us to do something, so what are we going to do? And so this is where we come in with your one takeaway. Um, and for me, my takeaway is what you just said, the whole interview process. Because sometimes as a middle school teacher, I just assume that you know your facts, Mm-hmm. And I don't really make time for it in the curriculum to practice your facts. But the more I see, talk to algebra teachers, the more I understand that if I can help you come up with a strategy for 6 times 7, that strategy is going to help you when you have to do 65 times 17. Mm-hmm. So there's merit in it. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, the high school teachers in the room are shaking their head at me because they're like, yes, please don't throw in the towel because your students have gotten to sixth grade and don't know their facts yet. Yeah. I was thinking about a student this week that um, – a fourth grader of mine that just finished, and for every single subtraction problem, his only go-to was to count back. So if he was at 14 minus 12, he's going to count mm-hmm. back on his fingers 12 times, mm-hmm. and so he doesn't have that flexibility. He only has one strategy, and it, it's – you know, not an efficient strategy. And I wished that I had read this before I finished the school year. Like, I should have done something about that, you know, not just let it be and be like, well, he's going to be in eighth grade counting backwards, you know, on his fingers. And they do that. Yeah. When they're solving equations. And they would be so much more efficient to be able to solve the equation if they just had those 
fact fluencies yeah. to make it faster for mm-hmm. them. I thought it was really interesting, though. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I don't really like time tests anyway. I always thought that they were not just that. I mean, it, the book says time tests don't assess fluency. It's not just that. They actually can be extremely counterproductive yeah. because you've got kids who have the ability to think through that process. But when that timer is going, and she even says, says this in the book, when that timer is going because of that time limit and they want to finish as many as they can to hit that goal they want to hit, they will revert back to counting and to those, mm-hmm. those because they, like you said, they're very fast at it. Mm-hmm. And if they can do that faster and in their mind more efficiently, you're actually reinforcing them practicing that as opposed to them practicing the strategies you want them to have yeah, so that exactly. when they do get up into those higher math classes, that flexibility is there so they do understand. And they're not sitting there counting on their fingers. I mean, even my kindergartners, I'll have them doing an activity. And if I have a kid who is fluid with number bonds and decomposing and composing numbers, we have to constantly walk around the room during game time and say, okay, you don't have to count that five, honey. You already know that five. So just say five and go on from there as that first stepping stone. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, again, I don't know why we still do time tests. I I don't understand it. That was my big takeaway from it, too, because most of the research previously that I had seen about time tests was the test anxiety part of the timer. And yes, Mm -hmm. that's a component, but it wasn't until this book um, that it really, the time tests themselves, regardless of the anxiety that students may or may not have from the time, the test itself is flawed uh, because it can only assess one aspect of fluency, if that, and it doesn't give you a complete picture. Um, Even flashcards, kids that, you know, that has for years and years been the way that you learn your facts. And it was kids need to do flashcards at home and it works. And that's what I've heard teachers say over and over. I've heard high school teachers, they just need to do those flashcards. If they would only do flashcards in elementary, we'd all be good. Um, But even that, it doesn't provide any of the flexibility that they need. Um, It doesn't give any strategies, even if you know all of your flashcards and even if you have the the accuracy and the automaticity with it it doesn't help you when you're at 65 times right. 17 right um, because there weren't flashcards for that and you're they're just it's just <laughs> thank memory. the lord there were not flashcards <laughs> for that because my mom would have had me at the kitchen table doing those flashcards <laughs> it doesn't give them anywhere to go. So they get yeah. to algebra and then they hit a wall, even for kids who, you know, kind of quote, know their facts. Um, it doesn't give them anywhere to go. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't assess, like you said, it doesn't assess their fluency in any way, shape, or form because she has a beautiful illustration in the book of a little guy who finished it, but he's sitting there counting. Mm-hmm. And the teacher just didn't see him doing it because he had his hands under the desk. So he's doing it kind of on the down low and he got it done. Whereas the one who's actually thinking through strategies will, or score poor on the test because she doesn't get as many finished. Mm-hmm. But she actually has a better underst- understanding of the concept of it. Mm-hmm. And so it not just doesn't do what we're intending it to do. It's actually, from what I can tell, it's detrimental. So it's like, okay, so, but I think part of the reason we hang on to it is because there hasn't been a strong viable alternative offered mm-hmm that teachers can be trained on and know how to use correctly. And that's the exciting part about this book because she gives you that. Yes, yes. I think she also, and and especially when you hear her talk about it, the the math talks through the fluency Mm -hmm. and to assess the flexibility and kind of those individual conversations with with students um, and the role that that plays in developing and assessing their true fluency 
is so it's so important to have those conversations Mm -hmm. and why do you think this well we know this that the pretend to 10 I loved that and that's just how I've done that for years it's just how my brain works not knowing that I'm pretending a 10 you know we never (laughs) called it that right but I just could okay well this is close to that it's the the grocery store math you know that you're doing when you don't have anything but you know this is about this and I can do this and you know putting those numbers Mm -hmm. together and making it work um, which a lot of our kids are, are not able to successfully do. Right. And if they do successfully do it, there's not a place for them to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they're not empowered to, right. why don't you explain what's happening in your brain? Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Just the process of them being able to verbalize or illustrate it in front of peers takes them to another level as well right. you know it's like that that old thing where it's like you know if you know it that's fine but if you can teach it you know you own it you right. know you've got it if you can teach it to somebody else that's what it gives them a chance to do that's actually what my my biggest takeaway from the book was was when she said you know students need to not necessarily be taught how to come to these different connections they need to come to them and you need to guide them or they need to guide each other into coming to these realizations on their own because then they have that ownership of it and that understanding of it. You don't necessarily need to stand there old school and teach it to them. Right. Um, and that was one thing I started, I want to say two years ago in my, in my K class doing math talks. Like I had to intentionally set aside time in my planning to make sure we had time to do math talks or I had to make myself pause at sometimes at these moments and say, okay, hold on, everybody stop for a second. You know, hey, Lexi, come up here and show everybody what you just did and explain it to everybody. And it revolutionized my kids' ability and what my kids have been able to do in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Just their understanding. When I went to introduce addition subtraction to them, they already knew it because they'd already decomposed mm-hmm. and composed and they'd already done subitizing with math cards and talked to each other about what's the difference between this one and this one and fluidity between adding one plus one minus one plus two minus two. It revolutionized my classroom just giving them the ability and teaching them how to talk through it with each other. I mean, it's just really exciting. But the, that concept of letting them come to it is is one that can make teachers really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, right. Can I just say that? But at the same time, it, it, if, it, if it's done consistently, I think, then it, it just turns them into – it gives them a whole other level of thinking. And that's what we want. It's like you said – I was listening to one of your other podcasts, by the way, <laughs> and you were talking about how you give the kids riddles. And I mm-hmm. want to see if you can think. That's how you teach them to think is mm-hmm. you give them a chance to do it and talk right. about it with each other and discuss it with each other. And then when they do that – that's what gets them comfortable being able to, and then they can realize too if they say it and it's wrong, it's okay. Right. They can right. make the it's mistake. It's got to be a safe place. It has to be safe. Yeah. yeah. But that was my one big takeaway was that it, it's nice to have somebody who's smarter than me say something that I kind of figured out, which was mm-hmm. they have to come to it on their own. Mm-hmm. You just guide it, but you don't necessarily directly teach it. Yeah. And then sometimes in, in it's fun to have it be like you know, a kid shares something and then the whole rest of the, you know, Mm. school year, you can refer it to Tripp's idea or Lexi's idea. Remember when, like, I feel like they have, sometimes they're like, I forget how to do that. And I'll say, remember when Morgan taught us, blah, blah, blah. And they they go, oh yeah, I remember Morgan's method. You know, that is cool to connect it to a kid. And then sometimes a kid might share an idea and another kid will go, oh, that's what I do. They just Mm -hmm. weren't, you know, Mm -hmm. not able to verbalize it yet. Right. Just cool. And it's, cool for me to have a name for it you know like let's make a 10 or pretend a 10 it 
those are different strategies. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking to me about it, I can give it a name and then we can use that strategy. Right. So, um, how about games? I mean, Tracy and I talked about how cool it would be if teachers would come and use one of their PD days and made these games and Mm -hmm. then they would be done and the cards would be there. That's what Do I'm you doing have this summer. <laughs> a favorite game? I know, but wouldn't it be beneficial? So that's one of our goals is for our elementary teachers to make a um, uh, fluency kit. So on that fluency Friday, teachers can get out their kit that already mm-hmm. has the games ready and done. So you're doing that? We are doing that, cool. yes. Oh. And planning mm-hmm. that for our elementary teachers. Um, so it will be done and ready and there for them so they can pull out these games. And a lot of them are evergreen games. Yes. And it'll take some time to teach. But if we Jigsaw. pull out the jigsawing, it was a great idea that Mandy had. Um, and if we're pulling out our time tests and we're not assessing those every week and spending classroom time, I think whatever time you pull out of your instruction or what seems like you're pulling away from the curriculum, it's really an investment back into your curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they take some time every week is what we're, what we're planning in and, and building in for them to do that. Right. Um, and then do, do you want to give your jigsaw idea? Because I love oh, that. Oh, yeah, this is all... You know, because teaching kids how to play board games without it ending up in what my dad would call fisticuff city sometimes can be a little interesting. But um, what we did was um, with my kiddos is I taught each group, I taught small groups how to play one game and become a master of that one game. Like I had a group that learned how to play war. These evergreen games are ones that you can take the basic concept of the game and apply it to pretty much any concept and since they already know the rules of the game all you're changing is the concept and so then they can just you know it's a one-time deal as far as teaching the game goes Mm -hmm. so one group would do war and one group would do um like um go fish one group would do um bump you know etc so on you teach that one group in a small group and they play that game for a while and become the experts and then each expert then breaks off and you have one expert with each game in a new group and so then that expert teaches that group how to play the game so the teacher really is only teaching that one game mastery to some to a few small groups and then the students teach it to each other and then from that point on they know how to play four to five evergreen games and then all you need to do is just change the concept that they play Mm -hmm. and so um we had tubs in the classroom um you know math games partner games was a part of every week with math stations in our class and so the kids could pick from these evergreen games or a different game that I'd, i'd gotten out um, and then they would just pull the tub, and depending on what level they were playing at, they would play with each other, and that really helped a lot with my, my higher kids talking it through with my lower kids, pulled them up quite a bit, and they had a lot of fun with it, and, you know, they didn't realize they were practicing math. And then and, you can just adjust the level. Like, uh, right. in kindergarten, you could do war with whole numbers, but then how cool would it be in fourth and fifth grade to now you're playing war with fractions yeah, fraction and, and comparing those, and then you get to sixth grade, and then we throw positive and negative integers into the mix, and now you're playing war very quickly with those negative numbers and kind of building some of those number concepts. But they already know how to play the game because they, they've been playing it all throughout right. elementary school. And so it makes not, the game new. It, doesn't, yes. it keeps it from getting stagnant because you change the cards out. Yep. So for me, having to teach sixth grade five times a day, having to explain the game once in each class instead of, because for me, 
there's definitely benefit in explaining it small group. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I'm going to explain oh, to this yeah. small group and this small group and this small group and this small group. Yep. And five classes times five is <laughs> 25 times of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, we could definitely benefit from Jigsaw. Cool. I think the book does a good job of giving some ideas and then yeah. at every single game they talk about this is how you can bump it up or bump it down and mm-hmm. I like that about every every single game has you know um different ways to do it when you're talking about your fluency kits it would be mm-hmm. cool to do to add the quick images into the kits yes. you know mm-hmm. and and kind of go through and say here are the ones that are going to help with your doubles facts and here mm-hmm. are the ones you know like as a teacher That's that would idea. that would really help me use that so I don't have yes. to go where is it again which one am I looking for you know to do the thinking ahead of time um, I feel like the number talks book might from the Sherry Parish book might be another good place to like mm-hmm. look and go you know cross-reference both of those together but mm-hmm. whether that's digital and it's just up on this on the board or paper versions or something that would be really that'd be helpful wish somebody do that for me <laughs> <laughs> that's cool And that kind of leads me into thinking about Steve Wyborny, Mm -hmm. who does the splat. Mm -hmm. So you have the quick image, and then there's a splat that goes over top of it, and the student has to guess how many are under the splat based on what it was and what's left. Mm -hmm. So it's another add-in. And that is really easy. In fact, shout out to Steve Wyborny, but he created it, and it's editable. So I can put fractions under there. I just saw a teacher who put coins under there. Like how much money is this? Mm -hmm. So you could put base 10 blocks, you know, all kinds of stuff that would be easily changed and be able to do that whole quick image thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about assessment. Do we want to try, do we want to move into that? Yeah. Um, So I thought it was really good how they talked about, one, one takeaway I had was there's no purpose in moving into the derived facts until they are automatic with the, right. what does she call them? Foundation. Foundation. And I, that, I hadn't thought about that. And I hadn't thought about, too, how, especially for multiplication, to not start with zeros and ones, but instead start with twos, fives, tens, and square facts, right? So the, mm-hmm. that was kind of an aha moment. And the reason you don't start with zeros and ones is because you need to build the concept of multiplication before you go into zeros and ones because that's kind of tricky to understand what that really means. And because it's just easy for teachers to revert to an algorithm yeah, of anything times zero is zero. Zero is always the hero. Yeah. Have we said Bye. that a lot we of times? We have. Um, so, so, Jay shaking his head. Yeah. Um, so the idea, that was a, a brought it home for me, that I, if I'm going to start to teach strategies, I need to make sure that they have their foundational facts um, set and automatic. And so I was kind of trying it out on my own kids. Um, and I did the page, I can't find it at the moment, but the page where it was at, like doing the automatic facts, the twos, the fives, the tens, and the squares, it's probably this one, um, maybe 119, with Adelie, my daughter who's in going into sixth grade. And she had all of those immediately, you know, and, and, I, and I kept asking her, were you doing something or, oh, I just know it. Mm. Um, but then what I would expected was that when she got to the harder ones, like six times seven, six times eight, she doesn't have them automatic still. And her 
we we were interviewing her and mm -hmm. just now before you guys got here and clearly she's skip counting she's skip counting ridiculously fast because i taught them both of my kids all these songs that like mm -hmm. are skip counting so it's in their heads but um however trip is figuring it out not with skip counting and maybe that was good that he refused to learn the skip counting songs and <laughs> adelie was very interested because she did six times seven and she sat for a minute, and then she said 42, and we asked her how. And she was like, just counted by sixes or counted by sevens. I don't remember what she said. And then Tracy said, well, is there another way you could have done it? And she said, well, seven times seven is 49 minus seven is 42. Mm -hmm. So she totally had that strategy yeah. really off the top of her head, but that's not where she went first. Yeah. Um, so it it was really inter it's always really interesting to talk to her kids cuz they're well they're really bright and Tracy is always talking math with them um so so i thought it would be fun to interview trip um because his his i mean adley's is just going to basically be i know it or it's just skip counting that's pretty much where we are with her but he has like he's still he doesn't have any of the higher facts automatic so he's in that strategy mm -hmm. development stage so um, we already asked him, oh, now I'm going to forget which ones. We already did six times eight. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a new one we haven't done. I'm going to just pause for a second. And... Miss Ruth, we didn't talk about which one we're going to ask him. Come sit. You, Bobby, you want to come sit with me? Which one haven't we asked? Oh, which one haven't we asked? I think we should ask the one we couldn't figure out see what he says this time. Oh, Oh. Okay. Can you sit with us? Okay, so we're talking about multiplication. And first of all, it's pretty awesome that you're going into second grade and you're willing to be interviewed doing multiplication. So we're going to ask you a fact, and I just want you to tell me the answer. Okay. And then we're going to talk about how you did it. So what's 9 times 8? Seventy. That's close. Can you talk me through how you did it? I'll do it again. Yeah. Seventy-two. Okay. Nice. So now can I ask you the same question and you tell me how you did it? Yes. Okay, what happened? You gotta sit up close to it so we can hear you. How'd you do it? Um so I split it up. I um I did um I split four and five up to make nine. So I split four and five up and then um I did um Eight plus eight is sixteen, so that would be times two. So I would have to do sixteen plus sixteen, which is thirty-two, and then that would be four. And then I would um, do thirty-two plus thirty-two um, to make sixty. 
four, mm -hmm. and then I would add um, eight more to um, get 72. Woo! Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> you look at all these people you've impressed here. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Hello. Okay. Do you guys have, do you all want to ask another one? Like, maybe do one more and we then. So how about 17 minus 8? Nine. Okay. And tell me how you did that. Oh. I, um, I had 17 and I subtracted 8 and so I, and so really I subtracted 8 and then I, um, add one more because it still, it was one more than seven, and then that one more would be from 10 down to nine. Okay, so this is what he, this is the third time he's used this strategy. Instead of 17 minus eight, mm -hmm. he did 17 minus seven, and knew it was 10, 10. and then he, he had to, to still do one more, more. Right. to do. Does that match what you're thinking, what Ms. Rich just said? Or were you listening? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> he's not very, whenever we say back a strategy, he's not very sure. But that's okay. You you are awesome, man. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Um, do you, yeah. Should we ask any other, you guys have any other ones you want to ask based on? So I, for my takeaway for this is when does he ever get to share that? Because exactly. for me, if Trip exactly. is in my class right. yep. as a first grader and I ask him what 17 minus 8 is and he's like 9, I just am like, okay, you got it. I'm going to go right. over here to this right. little girl who's drawing 17 tally marks and crossing off 8 of them right. to see what's left. But if I took the time to interview and assess what mm -hmm. he knew, mm -hmm. then he becomes my helper you know mm -hmm. he is able to have those conversations or to say it to the class in a way that I may not understand but the kids in his class are going to be like oh or even just one of them right, mm -hmm. may, right. may flip a light bulb for just one of them but you're also reinforcing to him he's a help to the other students but you're reinforcing to him that using those strategies and thinking about what mm -hmm. you're doing is important right and that's gonna that's gonna get you somewhere that it's worth doing and it's worth trying to articulate that um, so it's reinforcement for him, and it's beneficial for your other kids. Yeah, because your other kids are going to want to share their their thoughts, too. Mm -hmm. They're going to share how they got it, and it's going to be different than him, and mm -hmm. it's okay. There's more than one way to solve a problem, and I think that that's, as teachers, yeah. we like to show them one way, and we hope they get our one way, and that's not that's not how it works with math. There's lots of different ways that you can do it. And that's what a lot of our parents are looking for too because that's how they learn. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and that's a whole nother piece of it because right. when you that's start talking about those things. <laughs> <laughs> that's a it much is. longer podcast. A much longer podcast. <laughs> what did I open? But, <laughs> but most, most parents, um, right. you know, that – through school, kind of 70s, mm -hmm. 80s, and the 90s, you know, and that was their experience, then mm -hmm. that way that Tripp described it, oh, but that's so long. That's so well, many more steps is what they're saying yes, a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and it makes them very uncomfortable, mm -hmm. but we don't stop at that, and right. we're not writing it down in that way all through. That becomes very quick, and it mm -hmm. becomes very automatic to work through that process mm -hmm. in your head. Right. And um, she 
devoted a whole chapter she to did. this. Yeah, she yeah. did. Because did. she gets that family. So there's myths and facts. Mm-hmm. And she even tells you, like, the way to use yeah. the words to help the parents get right. on track with mm-hmm. what it is we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say, Trip? We appreciate you. Thanks you're pretty for, spectacular. Man. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. We won't keep you in here and talking about no, teacher stuff. Play. You're you're good. Thank you. <laughs> well, you're I, talking about like assessing, and you're talking about having that conversation, like what you just had with Trip. And you know, one of the things the the again little bells that go off when you read these books was you know changing your mindset as a classroom teacher from like time tests. I mean, we're so used to giving mm-hmm. kids a standard assessment, when we finish the math chapter, we give the math chapter assessment. We do the time test to assess their their basic facts and things like that. Whereas when you are looking at it from this perspective, it lends itself more to, I think of how, you know, reading assessments have changed over the years. So now when you're doing reading groups, you're doing like running records where the kids are reading and you're marking down what they're thinking, what they're doing, substitution, self-corrections. It's a very individualized assessment style now with, with reading groups. And it completely changed the way I teach, you know, even with reading in my class. So it's starting to apply that same mindset. Really, you need to have almost that same mindset when you apply it to math. Mm-hmm. Because just as reading, kids are on so many different levels, especially when they're younger, they're going to do the same thing. It's the same situation with math. You have to find a way to work it in to where you can do some individualized time with students. And like she says, you don't have to assess them every day. You don't have to do every kid every day. But when they're playing those math games, when you set aside that time, yeah. when you would be doing basic, fa- you know, the, the fact drills, the, the speed drills, if they're playing math games, if you walk around the room and just engage in a conversation with one small group, you can learn so much about by just asking those exact same questions. How, where are they on this whole on this whole scale? Where are they on their fluency? And then again, your kids who you wouldn't think would be because, you know, if he was doing a time test, it would have looked like it took him forever, right? And he wouldn't have been tagged as somebody who has a high understanding if you looked at a time test, right? But if you look at what's going on in his head. Oh, my word. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And so those conversations, those math talks, that, that time that you take when they're playing games to engage in conversations with kids is going to be key to making this work. And there's merit in having him be able to write it. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. I mean, to be able to write what problem you did when you decomposed four times eight to know that you did two times eight plus two times eight. Mm-hmm. And then when you got to 16 and 16, what was the strategy you did for that? Right. You know, did you do 20 plus 12? Just those kinds of things. And mm-hmm. a lot of times kids can think it, but they can't They can't write That's it. That's where he is. Whenever I ask him to, to write it down or I'm writing it down, in any of that, he's so used to doing it verbally and mentally that he struggles to get it on paper. And I think that's why he doesn't like when he sees it, like that's not what happened in my head. That's not what it looked like in my head. Right? I mean, I don't know what it looked like in his head. I was just (laughs) writing down numbers to follow his process. Like if I was his teacher and as his mom, you know, like that would be my next step is what can I do to get him to record his thinking Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that's going on because he's he's not there yet. Going back to what you were saying, Mandy, that um, I, I... Often we'll go around and be, li- you know, be listening to what's happening. Um, but I think the step that I don't do is write it down. 
You know, oh, yeah. I'll just be like, oh, that's cool. Like, great. Mm-hmm. And, right. bing, you know, and then I forget it. I'll, I might remember. You or know. you forget who did it. Exactly. Oh, yeah. But if you wrote it down, if I wrote, I'm talking about it by myself. If I wrote it down, then the next time we get ready to play a game, I could say, hey, Finn, this is one I can remember in my class. Finn is really good at the having and doubling strategy. Let's highlight that strategy before we play the game that we're getting ready to do. And then can anybody else try to see if they can use that strategy during during the game? You know, that's that's my missing link, like writing it down. Yeah. And she has a lot – or she, they – both authors <laughs> have many observation tools yeah, throughout yes. the book that break down um, what that strategy is. So in a multiplication-derived fact strategy, there are four different components that she has. So mm-hmm. it's really then when you're walking around watching grab your clipboard and you can check the boxes yeah. in the different columns so you can help know where they are. But she provide they provide those for you. So you're not making your own notes. You're you're it facilitates that walking around observation yeah. time. So right. that's a great resource that's right there mm-hmm. already for you. I like it. So I think we've kind of I mean we started at the beginning and we're at the end. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Um, so like, let's just wrap it up. We usually just wrap it up with a takeaway. Maybe it's something we haven't mentioned from the book or, I mean, last week, my takeaway was that Jay is pretty cool because I forget what he said. I don't know. I just remember that was my takeaway in episode 29. Yeah. Um, that's funny. So so, what's your takeaway? Yeah. What's your takeaway? Should I start? You should start. Um, my takeaway is I need to listen better when students are giving their strategy. And I just am having that takeaway from today because two or three times I was listening to Trip and I got, I was hearing what I thought I was hearing, you know, and I was, my brain was going in that direction. And then, and Adelie too, we recorded a little thing. Jay's shaking his head like, oh, you're so right. You, you guys fit their descriptions into where your brain is going. Yeah. Instead of really hearing mm-hmm. where they're, oh. what they're talking about. We That's both good. did it. Good. We both did and it. And what did I just tell you, Jen? Two is greater than four. I just listened to you that guy to podcast, and he did this five-minute convincing of two is greater than four, and then he said listening two is greater than listening four. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm so guilty of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're listening for that right answer. On this case, you're listening for the strategy that makes the most sense to you. Meanwhile, Trip is like, Hanging out of here, yeah, <laughs> like oh, oh. in higher thinking lanes. Exactly, yeah, right. right? <laughs> exactly. So many steps. So that's what I'm going to work on listening to. So my kind of takeaway kind of goes with that, and I have this vision of this clipboard with these open spaces between beside my students' names, like instead of just the roster, just mm-hmm. this open space. And you're in a small group, and you say something, and I've jotted it down. And for me, it's okay if I'm like hey, Finn shared this in second period and nobody shared it in third, so I'm going to tell you Finn's strategy. You know, when I have 120 students to pull strategies from. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I just have this vision of how I'm going to set it up so that it can be purposeful. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you're like, today you're going to play games. Oh, good, I have time to sit at my desk and do this. But that's really (laughs) missing the point, (laughs) you know? (laughs) That's a waste of time to listen to Yeah. Yeah. You guys have a takeaway? So my takeaway is that you you have to start somewhere um, because all of this, it sounds really great. And I taught sixth grade math um, 
was my my math teaching and and there was so much um, there were so many gaps that we were filling all the time I always felt behind mm-hmm. um, just with my kids and and trying to get them where they needed to be and it it was overwhelming and so all of this sounds great and I'm thinking as a teacher trying to implement it into my classroom and um, you know especially the teachers that I work with they want to do it all right and they want to mm. do it all they want to have it all planned out for the year and they want to know what game they're going to do. You know, if we're doing it every Friday, they want to know which games mm-hmm. on which Friday, you know, and they just how want long to, we have to do it for how long we have to do it for yeah. what I need to ask them, mm-hmm. uh, what I'm listening for, What's what am goal? I checking? Yes. And they, they, it's because they want to do a good job and they want to do it well and they want to do it right. Uh, but I think with this, the important thing is to jump in and start somewhere and mm-hmm. then you can, build and add your way kind of through the book um, as you go. And maybe it's math talks. and Because some of this is uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um, because it's not how I learned to teach math. And it's not how I was taught math. Um, So it's, you know, you can go somewhere once you're comfortable and once you develop some skill. But the important thing, I think, is to jump in and make some changes wherever they may be. And then you can build upon that. Gosh, that was like how I feel about coral counting. That we, our very last podcast, we talked about that, and that was like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know, or, or no, coral counting collections. I'm like, I just kept going. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And finally, I'm like, just suck it up and start and try it, and then yeah. mm-hmm. go back and read the resource again yeah. and fix all of your holes. Right. Yeah, yes. right. it's really scary to just try something for the first time. Yes. So, but you got to just try it, make some mistakes, and then go back and fix yep. them. I like that. I think my takeaway is never stop the number talk. You know, even as they progress yes. through the upper level math courses, don't stop the number talks because different students arrive at their answers completely opposite ends of the spectrum, you know. Um, and even some of those math fact fluency, they can kind of keep talking through those. Well, how did you get your answer? Like, what did you do when you did 65 times 17? How did you arrive at your answer? Instead of just expecting them to just say their answer and it's right or wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. I think we stop and then it's no longer, we're not listening anymore, so. Yeah. I think mine is um, being more intentional, like you said, walking around, Tracy, with the clipboard, Mm -hmm. um, being more intentional about writing down, recording, just for my sake, um, when we're having those small group moments and when they have those little aha moments and then setting aside the time to let them share that. We do really uh, done a lot better with doing it as they're playing games and walking and encouraging them, talking to each other and talking through it. But I feel like sometimes I don't have a good handle necessarily all the time on where all my students are. And I'd like to be a little more intentional with that um, as one of my own personal like POEs for this next year Mm -hmm. so that I can, you know, even go a little farther with it and, and give them the opportunity to, to think through it a little more. I mean, I think, this last year, Math Talks was one of my personal POEs. And I, POE is point of emphasis. Oh, I'm so sorry. Got it. That's okay. kind of a, it's kind of a buzz term around here. We all kind of know like, it. But I was kind of, I was getting the gist of it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's kind of like you get your own vernacular going. But um, I noticed that um, during the Math Talks, the most, the most, the po- most powerful words I said to my kids for like the first three quarters of the year is, what do you see? Mm-hmm. I mean, just flashing something up and saying, what do you see? And then 
coming up to the board and circling how they saw, you know, like an eight. I put up, you know, those subitizing images and and they'd have uh, different versions of eight. Mm -hmm. And what they would come up with, I had kids going, well, I see two plus two plus two plus two. And that's before we even touched on addition subtraction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So by the time I'm introducing them to like that plus minus and equal sign, they already knew it. And they're looking at me like, okay, so all I'm adding is this. This is easy. I'm like, well, that's the point. But those words were just, um, it kind of opened up my eyes to show that, you know, giving them and then just waiting and listening to the crickets chirp the Mm -hmm. first several times you do it. Mm -hmm. That's probably the worst thing in a a classroom is when there's silence after the question. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just had to listen to the crickets for a while. And then then once they got comfortable and they were safe sharing their ideas, it just exploded. And they knew that you weren't going to say anything. Oh, no. So if right. you... If <laughs> Much you to wait, their dismay sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. But if you wait for 10 seconds and then are like, okay, nobody knows, so I'm going to tell you, yeah. will they learn your pattern? Mm-hmm. Right. And it goes back to what Jay was talking about, where you're trying to get them to fit into where you want them to go as opposed to listening to which road they're taking. Yeah. Yeah. Be comfortable with the silence. Mm-hmm. As teachers, oh, yeah. we don't like that silence. It's mm-hmm. uncomfortable. No one likes silence. It's uncomfortable, but... You need it. It reminds me of, Ruth, what you do in your classroom to start out your kids. You know? With their warm-ups. And, and mm-hmm. you said, what do you see? In sixth grade, we say, what do you notice? What there do you, you wonder? Go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so it's two parts. You have to tell me what you see, but then you have to wonder, what are we learning today right. because of this picture? Or does it have anything to do with it? Mm-hmm. Right. Or could I just wonder why his arms are... Right. So hairy. Yes, you could absolutely wonder that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. this is a picture of this man holding this. Not and you, that's... Jay. <laughs> is that like those, the Graham Fletcher's yeah. exactly. react tasks? Yes. Oh, yeah, my kids love those. Yeah. They love those. Yeah. Those were fantastic. So, and there's no wrong answer, so all exactly. the kids are comfortable. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Well, this has been really fun. I feel it very encouraged. Been. Thank yes. you for joining us. And we, I won't see you on a run because we've done four this week. Four in a row. Nice. And we upped our mileage, too. Yes, we did. But thank you for